Hi, welcome to the shallow dive on the Dafyomi. I hope you enjoy. I'm in Amid Bez towards the bottom by the Mishnah. Evid Shasa Rabo Apoitaki Lacherim. A slave whose master made him into a collateral, essentially, to collect and satisfy a debt. So this is the, the, the slave is the, the property from which the debt can be collected. Vishichero, and then the slave was freed. At the line of the law, the slave is not liable for anything. But for the purpose of <coughs> fixing the world, rectification of the world, the master is forced to free the slave. And he writes a document of indebtedness for the value of the slave. There are a lot of vague pronouns here in this Mishnah, which we're going to get into who's doing what. It's very unclear in the Mishnah. We'll see it's Machlokas Amoraim. Rabban Shimon ben Gamliel Omer, Eino Kosev Ela Meshachar. Rabban Shimon ben Gamliel says that there's no need to write a document of compensation for the freeing of the slave to the benefit of the, the one who lost. Whoever is losing here, we're going to see. But rather, Rabban Shimon ben Gamliel says there's just a forcing on the shikhr, on the freedom. Just that the slave be emancipated, but no financial compensation. Let's see Rashi. I don't pay you off your debt from somewhere else. This is before you to collect and satisfy the debt. The slave. The shekharo. And he freed him. The Gemara is going to explain it all. Let's see the Gemara. It's so a slave whose master made him into a potahekoi. This will be the source of collection to satisfy the debt. And then freed him. So working on that part of the Mishnah. Mi shekharo. Who did this act of emancipation? Rav, Rabo Rishon. It is his first master. Rav is of the opinion, the way to understand the Mishnah is that his first master is who's being described here. When it says, Vishichero, and he freed him. So, what does it mean? The line of the law, the letter of the law, the slave is not liable at all. It means to his second master to the one who has a right to satisfy his debt through the collection of this slave. Kid 
And this is in accord with the teaching of Rava, the Amar Rava, as Rava said, Rabbi said three things upend the lean. So if there's a lean on some object, that it can be the source of collection, and that object is sanctified, hektish, or if that object happens to be chametz, it's a loaf of bread, and the debt can be collected from that loaf of bread, and then what? It's chametz and Pesach came. So the Isr of chametz, the prohibition, overrides the ability to satisfy the debt through the collection of this object, the chametz now. And Shechur, the third one, the one that's subject, the subject of, of our Mishnah, that even though this slave was designated as a source of collection to satisfy the debt, once he is freed, that overrides the lien. So this is in accordance with the teaching of Rava, that the slave is not liable to the second master, the one who laid claim and said, you can't be freed, I have a right to collect and satisfy my debt by taking possession of you, the slave. For the purposes of repairing the world, fixing the world, maybe you'll find him in the marketplace, the second master, the one who is disgruntled at this point that his ability to collect the debt has been impaired because the first master freed the slave. So now the second master is having a bad day, is doing a financial write-down over here, and he sees this slave, former slave, walking in the marketplace. And he's going to call out in the marketplace, you're my slave. By all rights, you're my slave. The other guy had no right to free you. So therefore, in order to avoid this potential scandal, so the court stepped in for Tikkun Olam to force the second master, the one who wanted to satisfy his debt by collecting and taking possession of the slave, he forced him to write a bill of divorce to free this slave. And the slave writes a bill of indebtedness for his own value. So, on the one hand, we force the second master to free, and on the other hand, we force the slave to give a bill of indebtedness for his his financial value, the value that he would have fetched in the marketplace. He got that for free, so to speak, but he's going to give that over to the second master, to the one who was the lender, let's say, And, and that way this will avoid any type of problem of the Rabo Shani making claims against this free man. And Rabbi Shimon Gamliel, Omer, Eina Eved Kosev. Rabbi Shimon Gamliel says, the slave doesn't write it. El Meshachar Kosev. But rather, who writes this bill of, of indebtedness, giving over an obligation to pay, an IOU? It's the one who freed him, the first master. This is not the slave who does it, it's the first master who does it. So the, the guy who 
was responsible for ruining the ability of the second master to collect, he's the one who has to make a restitution of sorts by writing a new bill of indebtedness in favor of the second master, in favor of the one who's no longer able to collect from the slave. And before we continue, let's catch up on Rashi's. Back on Namam Abbez. Shura Sadin, Eina Evechayev, Kluom Raboshani. The letter of the law. The slave is not liable, not responsible in any way towards his second master. Shalohai Gufu Kanula. His body, we're talking about an Ebed Kenani, Canaanite slave. His body was not acquired to the second master. Al Meshubit. He was partially indebted in a sense that he could be collected to satisfy debt. But he wasn't actually fully owned by the second master. The second master is a pseudo-master. first master is the real master. The second master has a right to collect, but he doesn't actually own the slave. And then the first master freed him. This overrides the lien, as Rabbi said, hektish, chametz, and shechur, those all override the lien. And no longer can the debt be satisfied by collection of these objects. Hektish, if somebody would be the case of hektish, if he made his ox into the specified source for collection, satisfying of a debt, and then the owner of the ox consecrated this ox to be brought on the altar as an offering. And it is specifically the sanctification of the body, the Kedushas Domim, Lo of Kashibut. If you would just consecrate it, let's say it was a type of ox that was a Balmum or, or, or not even an ox, if it was an animal that is not subject to Kedushas Hagof ever. He just said, this shall be consecrated and it's only Kedushas Damim. It's only the financial value. Hektish now owns this object. Say he consecrated the donkey. The donkey will never go on the altar. But the donkey is owned by Berakabayas. It's owned by the Besa Mekdash property. And Besa Mekdash can sell it to raise the funds for whatever operations are needed. That's Kedushas Damim. Kedushas Damim does not override the original lien. So if the, the donkey is worth $100 and there's a, an outstanding debt that can be collected, is designated to be collected for $50 on this donkey, then the owner is Maktish the donkey. He says, this is for Hektish. So Hektish... The status of hektish, because it's just kedushas domim, it's just the financial value. That does not override the initial indebtedness of this object to be the source of collection. And now, even though it's hektish, hektish is going to come out getting fifty dollars. I'll sell this donkey on on eBay or whatever for a hundred dollars. Fifty dollars will go to satisfy the debt because that is not that indebtedness 
was not uh, overridden by the hectish. It was only sanctification on the financial basis, not on the object itself. It's not going to be consecrated to go on the altar. So Rashi's qualifying when we say hectish is mafkim. It means dafka specifically kedushas haguf only if it's going to go on the altar. Once it's consecrated to go on the altar, that is a fundamental change. Its value, financial value, is uh, no longer relevant, and the lien, the ability to collect from this object, expires. Kitan, as taught in the Mishnah, Erechin, you have the ability to still satisfy the debt when there's only Kedusha's Dhamit. It's only consecrated for the purposes of, of the money, but not, not for the object itself to be used as a carbon. Chametz of Chamsha Hilvas Yisrael, a non Jew that lent a Jew, Vishibet Lo Chemso, Velo Hinoetzlo. And then, so the, the Jew gives as a collateral the, right, the, the non-Jew lent the Jew, and the Jew has, let's say, a loaf of bread as collateral. He says you can collect this loaf of bread to satisfy the debt, tells the non-Jew. The lawyer, he doesn't hold it by himself. When the Isra Chametz comes, so the, the Jew, if he's holding on to it, the prohibition of Chametz that comes when Pesach comes overrides the status of this loaf of bread as Meshubid, as a source of collection to satisfy the debt to the non Jewish lender. And the status of this loaf of bread is bread that was owned by a Jew over the course of Pesach and is prohibited for him to derive any benefit from it and the shibud is lost, meaning that the non-Jew cannot collect this loaf of bread to satisfy the debt. He's, he's got to collect from other things. But once the prohibition of chametz came into effect, that overrides the lien. Mem Aleph Amad Aleph. We're talking about the second master, the one who lost the ability to collect from this slave, finds the recently freed slave in the marketplace, and he, he's going to say, you're my slave. And what's, what's the big deal if he says, you're my slave? I'll say, no, I'm not. But it's going to create a rumor for his children. The children are going to, going to suffer that people say, oh, you know, they're the sons of a slave. This is the debate as presented who is the one who's writing this vague pronoun, who is writing the bill of an IOU to the victim over here. The victim is the one who lost the ability to collect from the slave. So Meshachar, the one who freed the first master, 
He's the one who has to pay up. This is the machlokas we saw, but what's shot in that? Because he's the one who caused the damage. But my comment will get back in Gemara. What is the debate between Tanakama and Rabban Shema Megamliel of who writes this IOU? They disagree about the status of one who causes damage to the ability to collect of his friend. The one opinion says he's liable for causing this damage, and the other opinion is that he's exempt. He's only causing a loss, but he didn't actually directly damage. The, the debt is still outstanding, and the source of collection has been impaired. So if that does cause damage, it's only an indirect cause, and you have a debate about whether he's actually liable for that or not. So whether you say it's the responsibility of the first master to free, who freed to make this bill of indebtedness in favor of the victim, that is dependent on whether you hold this mazik shibro It causes a, a, an impairment to the ability to collect for his friend. Is he liable for that or not? Itmarnami, and we have a similar teaching, that concerning a case where there's a damage to one's friend's ability to collect, we have come to the debate between Rabban Shema Megamliel and the Rabbana. That teaching also corroborates this variance of opinion who is required to make this compensation by taking on this debt to, to give an IOU to the victim over here, the second master, as it's been called, if it's the one who did a shikhr, so that is bound up with the opinion that Mazak Shibur Shalavero is liable, he caused the damage, impairing the ability to collect, so then he has to compensate, and if you say he's exempt, so then who's the one who writes? It is the Eved, the one who is freed. He's gaining by protecting his children from this libel. And therefore, he's, he's the one who gives out this compensation to the second master. Ula Amar, Ula has a different interpretation of the Mishnah. Mi Shechero, who is the one who freed him? Rabu Sheni. It's the second master. Meaning the back to the beginning of the Mishnah, take a look again. The slave who was made into a collateral. And then he was freed. Who freed him? The one who was the beneficiary of this collateral. The lender. At the letter of the law. What does it mean? It means the mitzvahs. The, this interpretation, Ula understands the Mishnah, again, because the vague pronouns can be understood in a very different way. Since the second master is not the true master, he's a pseudo-master, he has rights to collect, but he's not the true master, so when he frees this, this slave, it doesn't really work. And therefore, at the letter of the law, 
the slave is not required to do mitzvahs, klum mitzvahs, meaning mitzvahs of a freed man. Obviously, we're talking about an evakinani, so he'd be chayv in mitzvahs ke'isha, but in a chayv klum mitzvahs, as a mishukhra, elam itnei tukna olam, other than for the purpose of rectification of the world, since already word spreads quickly that he's been freed. So therefore, in order to address this mismatch between reality, that the freedom was a, an invalid free, and the rumor that he is a freed man, so the Tikkun Olam is that the first master who is the true master, is forced to free him. Vikosev, the Bach adds, Evid, Shtar al-Domo, and the slave writes, who is the beneficiary of this Tikkun Olam, he writes a, an indebtedness, a bill of debt to compensate for his being freed. Rabban Shimon ben Gamliel says, it's not the slave who writes this, but rather the one who frees, meaning the first master. I mean, uh, the, the uh, sorry, the second master. The second master who's caused this problem, so to speak, because he declared that he's freeing this slave, but it wasn't a, a valid emancipation. So the first true master is now forced to free due to the damage brought about by the rumor from the, the second master's ring. So the, the first master is going to be compensated by the second master or by the Eved, is what the Bach says, uh, because of the, the cause. He caused this damage. The Maikamifligi, what are they arguing about? They argue about damage that is not recognizable. One opinion is that it is considered a damage and should be compensated. And the other opinion is it's not called a damage. Rashi. The slave, according to Ula, is not required to keep the mitzvahs because it was a false pseudo-freeing, pseudo-emancipation. Rashi points out that the mitzvahs that we're talking about are the additional mitzvahs that are applicable to a freed man more than a slave. The reason why at the letter of the law he's not required is because the second master, the one who had the ability to collect and satisfy his debt by taking possession of the slave, he was not the, tr the true master, he was not actually able to free the slave because he didn't own the slave. Al Domov was a an IOU written out in compensation for the money. Ha'od from that is in excess of the debt. Eino Kosev Ein Eved Kosev Lo Shumstar Maya Avile Yu Logarmle Velomidi. The slave doesn't need to write this IOU because he wasn't involved. It was the 
the uh, fault of the one who freed. Rather, it is the one who freed. He has to write a bill of, of indebtedness, an IOU, to compensate the first master, the true master, for the value of the slave that is in excess of the debt. So, let's say the slave was worth a thousand, and the debt was for five hundred. So, when the second master, who had the right to collect the slave, says the second slave is free, so he is causing damage to the true owner to the tune of 500. So he has to write an IOU to the first master, the true master, who's now been forced to free the slave because there's already the word got out that he's freed. So the second master has to compensate the first master for the excess value above the debt that he was owed, and that would be in our case 500. According to the Tanakama, it is not considered a damage if it's not detectable, if the damage is not apparent. Since Hezek Shainer so, therefore, who should be writing this compensation? It's the Evet. Since he benefited from the freedom, the real beneficiary here is a slave. He's now a free man. So he benefited. And if the one who freed is causing, is a Hezek Shein it's a damage that is not apparent. So the beneficiary, it's more appropriate that the beneficiary should be the one writing the IOU than the one who caused damage that's not detectable. Back to the Gemara. Ula Why does Ula not learn like Rav? The second one, you're calling him his master? The second one has the right to satisfy his debt by collecting the slave, but he's not really his master. So it's, it's a bit of a misnomer to call him master. Rashi. Shani Rabba Kurisaleh. Tanamas Nisin Bithnia. Diktani Kopnis Rabba. The Mishnah says we force his master. Umukmaslav Rabba Shani. And to say that means the second master. Like we said on the, the top line of the Gemara. That the Kopnis Rabba Shani, but also also in Chayrin. So, that's a, that's a surprising way of describing him as a master. We rav my time ka'ula, and why doesn't rav learn like ula? He says, do you call this the second one the one who frees? The second one is not really able to free. The second one doesn't own him. So, the, the term a, an emancipator is also a bit imprecise. The first one can be the emancipator because the, the first Rabo Rishon is able to emancipate. Rashi Meshachar is the one, the second one who had a lien on this slave. Is he 
capable of emancipation? Is this emancipation valid in any way? It's, it's a sham shechur. It's, it's not really an emancipation. So therefore, that's why each one takes their position. There's, there's a, an, a lack of precision on both ends. To say that he's the master, the, the second one, it's not really precise, but to say that the the second one is the one who's meshachre, engaging in emancipation, is also not terribly precise. So there's an advantage and disadvantage to each way. Itmar. Back in the Gemara. Somebody who designated his field to be the source of collection, to have a lien on the field for others to collect. Veshot fanar, and it became inundated by a river. And the river inundated the field. This is a serious problem. We're not talking about a temporary issue, but a long-term impairment of the land. Apparently the river has changed course, something to that effect, where the field has been severely damaged. So Shafenoa, Kach Kinuyev, that's his nickname. Nice and beautiful. Back in the Gemara. So in this teaching, what did Amishabhadnoa say in the name of Rabbi Yochanan? He does not collect Enogova Mishanachasim. He's not able to collect from the other assets. And Avua, the father of Shmuel, said he can collect from other assets. Amrav Nachman by Yitzchak. Rav Nachman by Yitzchak said, Because his nickname is nice and, and, and pretty, should he say a teaching that's not, that's not uh, beautiful? The Tagim Shmait say, uh, interpret what he said if to modify it to actually get it correct. The case is where he cannot collect from other debts. When he specified, you can only collect from this field. So there's a lien to satisfy this debt that has been isolated only to the collection of this field, not the other properties. Rashi. But if he just said to him, if I don't pay you, collect from this one, this field has not ascended to the domain and jurisdiction of the creditor. Since it's not been transported partially to the domain of the creditor, so he can collect from other assets as well. If he's interested, he can sell these and collect from the rest. Meaning, this field is not restricted, that the borrower is not limited in what he can do with this field, because the debt could be collected from other things as well. We have a Brysa supporting this idea. 
Ha'osas Hadeya Potki Lachayrim, Al-Achet, Megirsos, one who makes his field the property designated to satisfy a debt, Vishafanar, and then it becomes inundated by the river, Gov Meshanachosim, he can collect from, the creditor can collect from other assets. But if it was stipulated that the only recourse to satisfy the debt would be from this field, then he is no longer able to collect from other assets. And if the field is damaged, too bad for the creditor. That is uh, an, an additional brisa. Haosa sadeo apotki bachov, one who makes his field indebted to satisfy debt, uksubosisha, and to satisfy the debt of uksuba to his wife. Govin mishanachasim, uh, there's still the ability to collect from other properties. Rabban Shema Gamliel Omer, Balchov Govim Meshanachasim. Rabban Shema Gamliel differentiates. He says, the regular creditor, he can collect from other properties. Isha in a Govim But the wife, or at this point, she's either widowed or divorced, she does not collect from other assets, just from this field. Because it is not the way of a woman to go into litigation meaning the other assets, if he had a whole bunch of properties and he sold them, so she's not able to collect from those because the presumption is that if she wanted a guarantee that, that the ksuba would be paid and he gave a certain property to be designated for the satisfaction of that debt, so it was done in a way that was uh, precise, specifically this property, that would be a greater protection for her. And since it's it's uncommon, atypical for a woman to engage in litigation, so that is the presumption of what she would have wanted and what had been done. Therefore, if the property was damaged, so it's her loss. Let's see Rashi. And go of Mishana Chosim, Fisha, Ain Daka, Shal Isha, Lachzar Al, Bote Dinin. Uh, by the creditors, they can collect from other fields that were not inundated by this river, but the woman is limited. She can only collect from this field. Raman Shimon Gamliel says, differentiating the creditor from the wife, even though they're both laying claim to the assets of this person. But by the wife, there was a specific designation of this field, Sadazu, and on that condition did she get married to him. And not that all of his properties should be eligible to satisfy the debt of the Ksuba. Then she won't know which property to satisfy the debt of the Ksuba from. And the properties are sold. Who is the first buyer? Who is the second buyer? She's going to have to go into litigation with all the people who bought her field, her husband's field, her ex-husband. She's going to have to go into litigation with these 
subsequent owners and if her debt precedes the sale so she can take recourse from those but that's not something a woman wants to do so the presumption is that if she was given I post a, a designation of a field to collect, satisfy the debt of the Ksuba, it was done in a way that is specified this field, which would limit the requirement of engaging in litigation that you would have if it was just a general she would a general indebtedness that could be satisfied by other properties. Let's see the Mishnah. Somebody who is half slave and half free. Oved es rabo yom echod, v'satzmo yom echod. He serves his master one day, and himself one day. Divrei Beisilel, these are the words of Beisilel. Beisilel says, they make an agreement, and the value of his labor will accrue half-half, half to his master, half to himself. Beisham yomrim, the kind of es rabo, Beisham disagrees, and say, in response to Basilo, you have addressed the master. The master owns half of this slave. The master is going to receive the value of the labor of half of the slave. But for the slave himself, you have not done him justice. You have not remedied his situation. Why? He's not able to marry a slave, because he's half free. The half that's free is not eligible to marry a woman who's a slave. What is another gear so slightly more meduktuk? He's not able to marry a freed woman because he is still half of he's half a slave. And the half slave is incompatible with a woman who's fully free. Ivato. So what should be? Should he not get married? But the world was created for being fruitful and multiplying. Shenamar, as the verse states. Pasuk in Yeshaya. Lo sohu lo Was not created. The world was not created to be desolate. Rather, to be settled. God had a purpose for creation. And humanity should develop, thrive, be fruitful, and multiply. So that's not being achieved over here. Rather, in order to fix the world, to address this problem, he forced his master, the half-master at this point, or whatever the circumstance is, that he is half-owned by someone else, and he has to free and emancipate this slave to the extent that the slave will not be stuck. In compensation for this freedom, the slave needs to write an IOU in favor of the master for half of his value. And that way, the master was forced to free a slave, is not left bearing the burden entirely of this loss, the debt will be paid off over time. The one who is freed 
only to pay the master. But he is now a freed man. And Beisolo accepted the criticism of Beishamah, and they passed him like Beishamah. They said, the original idea of working half for the master, half for himself, was only adequately addressing the needs of the master, not of the slave. And therefore they <coughs> changed their psak to be like a shaman, forced the master to free the slave, and the slave will need to write uh, a bill of indebtedness in favor of the master in order to compensate him. Let's see Rashi. What would be a case? If two brothers or two partners owned a slave and the one brother or partner freed his portion. Now you've got a situation where he's half-owned by the remaining partner. You've adequately addressed his master. He's not lacking anything according to Beis Hillel's original plan. But but for the slave, he's unable to marry a slave woman, because he's partially free, and it's prohibited for a freed Jew to marry a slave. But to marry a freed woman, a Jewish woman, he's not able to. Because he is partially a slave. So it's prohibited for a freed Jewish woman, a regular Jewish woman, to marry a half-slave, because the aspect of slavery. The one who's created the earth did not create it to be desolate. Did not create it to be emptied. He created the world that it should be settled and developed. Let's see the Gemara. Tan Rabbana. The sages taught that if someone frees half of his slave, Rabbi Omer Kana. Rabbi says that he has acquired, the slave has acquired half of himself. The Chachamim Amru Lo Kana. The Chachamim say, no, he has not acquired half of himself. Amar Rabbi. Rabbi says this disagreement between the Chachamim and Rebbe is if the means of freedom was a document. To Rebbe Sava, because Rebbe, who says it works, how does he come to that conclusion? He derives from the verse, Pasek and Vayikra, by Shifcha Chrufa, and she was redeemed, not redeemed. Oh, or her freedom was not given to her. And there is a hekish. It's a tool, hermeneutic of deriving one law from another due to the proximity of the subjects. There's a hekish between shtar and kasef. Ma kasef ben kula ben chatzio. Just as the ability to become redeemed from the slavery can be 
incremental, whether it be entirely or partially. Ashtanami, vinkula ben So too, Rebbe contends that the ability to redeem the sleep, to free the sleep by a bill of emancipation can be done and accomplished not only if he is fully free, but even just partially free. That's Rebbe's opinion. Rabbanon, miri la la mi'isha. Rabbanon, they have exer shava, they say la la mi'isha. That it says la in this verse. It says, oh, chufsha lo nitan la. Her freedom was not given to her by this shifcha harufa, this half-slave woman is how interpreted aloha. And there's another pasuk that says law, is in Devarim, that Gerishin had engaged in divorce. Pasuk says the cause of law, safer krisos. So you have law, law, meisha, ma'isha, chatzia, law, av evenami, chatzia, law. Just as a woman cannot be half divorced, he gives her a bill of divorce saying, you are half divorced, it's meaningless. So too, by this shifcha, if you would give a bill of emancipation saying you're half free, so due to the Zer Shava of La La, Rabbanans say it's not effective and a bill of, of freedom cannot be halfway. But the emancipation through redemption, by the giving over of money, everybody agrees that, that works. She is redeemed and not redeemed. And that's the first part of the of the Pasuk by Shefra Harufa. Vihafte lo niflasa. It sounds like she and, and redeemed she was not redeemed, but partial redemption is implied. Lema Baha Komiflagi suggests that this is what they argue about. The Marsavar Ekeshadifa Omar Savakzer Shavadifa suggests that there are two potential ways. Two hermeneutic principles at play here, potentially. One is Hekish, and one is Gzair Shava. The, the Hekish is championed by Rebbe. He says there's an analogy between Kesef and Shtar, one next to the other, in, in order to extend the potential of partial redemption by money to apply equally to partial redemption with a document. Whereas the Chachamim, the disagree, they <coughs> understand the Gzera Shava of La La, which in two different parishes, but the same word, verbal analogy from two different locations in the Torah, as being a, a, a superior form of Drasha. So they choose that. Well, Gemara says that's not what it's, the debate is about. The Kuli Alma Gzera Shava Diva. Everybody agrees that Gzera Shava is better. But here is different. Dikla Mifrach, because there is a Pircha on the Gzer Shava. Ma'ala Ishash ken ena yotzu b'kesef. Tarbe'evet By woman, there is no possibility of her being freed from a marriage, maybe being divorced through a vehicle of monetary compensation. So by the woman, there is only one vehicle of divorce. That's a bill of divorce other than the husband dying, but in terms of engaging in an act of divorce, that requires 
that he gave her the bill of divorce. There's no transfer of money that would affect a divorce. So therefore, that's, that's why we have a, a reason to suspect that the Gzair Shava of Lala is not as powerful, according to Rebbe, who says, look at the Hekish to compare the, the Din of Kesef to the Din of Shtar by Shifra Harufa, as opposed to La La to make Xer Shava between the, the slave and the woman who's getting divorced. So Gemara is saying that it's, it's not a, a general principle, but it's specific to here because the lack of similarity between the two parties of the Xer Shava. Zatosos over here. The Kuliyama Xer Shava Dipa. Gemara rejects saying that the Machlokis is about what is a better method of, of hermeneutic. Is Xer Shava or Hekesh? Gemara says no. Everybody agrees that Xer Shava is superior to Hekesh. Breach is a Mokoman. There's a debate over there, these two places. Over there it sounds like just the opposite. The Hekish, the derivation of an extension of one halacha to another due to juxtaposition, is a superior method of drasha, the opposite of what Argumar is concluding, that Xer Shava, that the verbal analogy from two different locations is superior. So that's a question. So here is a unique case, says Tosos. Really, the Iker is like those two Gemaras, that the Hekish is a superior form of Drasha. But since the whole foundation of the Shtar, of, of using a, a document, is der- derived from Xer Shavu, so, therefore, Xer Shava, the, the case of, of learning verbal analogy from two different locations, is superior. That's, Tosa says that this, this Gemara is unique. It does not reflect the general rule. That's Tosa's. Let's see, Rashi. Rabbanu Savgir Shava Adit. This is the proposed explanation of the debate. That Rebbe holds that the Hekish is greater. Is a superior method of drasha, and the Rabbanon hold Xer Shava is superior. The low Shafting Xer Shava Yafinam Mehekish. The Rabbanon hold that we will not forsake Xer Shava and derive a halacha from Hekish when there seems to be a conflict. Rebbe Savar Hekish Adir. And Rebbe holds that the Hekish is superior. Dehi Ikal Melef Mehekish and Xer Shava Shafting Xer Shava Yafinam Mehekish. When you could learn either way, so that's the proposed machlokes between Rebbe and Rabbanon, when you could do either, which one takes precedent? Which, which method is superior? The Gemara rejects that. Everybody agrees Xer Shava is superior. Even Demufna Lidrash, since it is specifically designated for Drasha, 
have like a man, because of the gufe, the crop. It is as though it is written in the Torah. The hakra yisero, because it is a superfluous element of the verse. On, on a simple interpretation, it's superfluous. Echilav mufne nami. Rashi says, not like Tosos, that the status of Zer Shava is superior, in that it is an underhand pitch, so to speak, for a drasha. There is some superfluous availability. In the, in the simple interpretation of the verse, it is not necessary. And, more fundamentally, it is something that a person cannot do on their own, but it is derived from Sinai. A person cannot make his own Zer Shava. A person can make his own Zer Shava, he could destroy the entire Torah. The ability to make a verbal analogy from one location of the Torah to another, where there seems to be the ability to darshan because of a superfluous wording, that is not something that a person can undertake on their own, but rather it is learned from Sinai. A person cannot make their own Zerashava. So Rashi says that is superior to Hekish. The question is, what, what is the requirement for Hekish? Implicitly, Rashi seems to be saying Hekish does not have the same restrictions. But on the other hand, there's the other factor that there's a seemingly superfluous verbiage in the in, in the verse that lends itself to be nidrash. It's, it's asking, as it were, to be nidrash, that to be to be a source of further understanding of the halacha. Whereas the juxtaposition is not as great of a call to make a drasha. The juxtaposition of two different halachas. So therefore, everybody agrees, says Rashi, Gzer Shava is superior than Hakish. Shekane any Yotzu This is the element of weakness in the Gzer Shava that a woman does not go free. The law, law, the law that applies to Gerushin, to a divorce, she does not have the ability to go free by Kaset. And that is why she cannot be divorced halfway. But in theory, if she could be divorced through money, so by the giving of money, so then it would be like the slave who could be emancipated by partial redemption. But by a slave, who can be redeemed part way, since that is an option, unlike by marriage, where there's no redemption, a woman cannot redeem herself from marriage by a transfer of money. So, by the slave, where there is that possibility, so suggest that a star could also be a vehicle for that partial freedom. It's not. It's not inherent. Inherently restricted because it's a star. It's because there's no possibility of redemption part way by Ishus. There's no Kesef as a vehicle of divorce. 
That's what is the, the root of the divergence. Let's see in the back in the Gemara. Rav Yosef says, unlike what we saw until now, Rabbah explaining Machlokas Rebbe and the Chachamim, Rav Yosef has a different interpretation. The debate is by Kasset. The Rebbe Savar, Rebbe holds, that the Drash by Shifcha Harufa, the Hafte Lo Nifdasa, and she is redeemed, not redeemed, Pidui Ve'ena Viduya, partial redemption. The Rabbanon Savri, Dibatara Kalash Me'adam, the Rabbanon don't read into it as much, it's just a way of speaking. The Hafte Lo Nifdasa, and she was redeemed, not redeemed, not to say partially redeemed, but it's just a way of saying she was not redeemed. According to Rav Yosef, by Shtar, the redemption with a document, everyone agrees that cannot be achieved halfway. So this is, Rav Yosef is in disagreement with Rabbah that we just saw before. What are the parameters of the debate between Rebbe and the Chachamim? Within the framework of being Meshachar, half a slave. So, according to Rabbah, they only argue by the document, but by money, everyone agrees that there can be a partial redemption. Rav Yosef, he disagrees in what the scope of the Machlokas is. He says the disagreement is about money. But by Shtar, everybody agrees that there is no partial redemption by giving a, a document of emancipation. If somebody frees half of his slave with a document, Rebbe says, it works. The say it doesn't work. So you see explicitly a brysa knocking out what Rav Yosef says. It's a question against Rav Yosef. The question stands, he's knocked out. Rav Yosef who said that by shtar no one disagrees, well, that's not true. We have a brysa that says explicitly that Rebbe says, by shtar, freeing half of his slave works. The Marshal takes out the word Nemo. By shtar hu de pligi, the disagreement is by shtar, they disagree concerning the partial freedom by giving a document, but by money there is no disagreement. This would seem to imply that Rav Yosef is wrong on both accounts. And there are two areas under discussion. We're talking about freeing half a slave both by money and by a document. So we've already knocked off Rav Yosef halfway. Rav Yosef said initially that by shtar, no one says that it can be achieved, that emancipation can be achieved by giving the shtar for a half freedom, half emancipation. And now we have a Brisa that says explicitly by shtar, by a document, that Rebbe says it works. So that's knocked out. But what about on the money side of things? Suggest that from the fact that this brysa is focused on shtar, that what's the din by money? What's the halacha by money? 
that that's not uh, controversial. And that would knock Rav Yosef off within the realm of Kesef as well. Amach Rav Yosef, Yosef could say, respond to you, No. Really, they argue both by Shtar and Kesef. Meaning he's only half knocked off. He's only knocked off on his original contention about Shtar. But by Kesef, he contends, or could contend, that the debate is applicable between Rebbe and the Chachamim, whether it's possible to engage in a partial emancipation by money, a redemption, that is also Machlokas. Unlike Rabbah. Rabbah says by Kesef, there's no debate. And why then is the debate presented by Shtar? That is Brisa, the Brisa that knocks off Rabbi Yosef, says that that's the case, Here's the debate. Rabbi says, Why are they arguing about Shtar? If it's also Machlokas by Kesef, This is to inform you of the strength of the position of Rabbi, how far he goes, that Rabbi says, not only does Shechur, the redemption, with money, part way work, but even redemption with a Document, partway work. Why don't we bring their debate by money? According to Rav Yosef, that should be the subject matter. You want to say how far Rebbe goes? Why not tell us how far the Rabbanon go? The Rabbanon say that, according to Rav Yosef, money cannot be used for partial redemption and freedom. So why don't we present a, a disagreement, if you want to talk about one, tell us how far the Rabbanon go, that they reject the ability to free the slave part way, even with money. Koch de ter Now, Rav Yosef will answer you that koch de ter the within describing how limiting the Chachamim are, or the extent of, of the Heter, of Shechor part way, of Rebbe, it would be preferable to show you how far Rebbe goes in the Matir, not only by Kesef, but even by Shtar partway. Toshma, come in here. The Hoften, and by the Shech Rufa, she was redeemed. Yoho Lakol, or Kula, Nalagirsa, Tamaluma, Lo Niftasa. Therefore, the verse qualifies and says, and she was not redeemed. If she's not redeemed, does it mean in any manner? What? Reread, the verse says, and she was redeemed. How does this play out? She is redeemed and not redeemed. By means of emancipation, redemption is achieved through money or Financial equivalent. And I only know that this is applicable by money. How do I know that this does apply, that she can be partially emancipated through giving a document of emancipation? The verse states, and she is redeemed, not redeemed, or 
her freedom was not given to her. Olalanu Omer, because of law save Christus, and later it is written, and he shall write for her a bill of divorce, of severance. Malalon Bishtar, just as over there by divorce, it's done through a document. Afghan Bishtar, so to over here by emancipation, it can be achieved through a document. I only know from the context of the Haftelon Ifdasa that you have a possibility of partial emancipation through redemption of money, or that she can be fully emancipated by giving a shtar. But how do I know that she can be partially emancipated through the giving of a document? How do we know that? This verse by Sheikh HaKarufa tells you, first describing money, secondarily, in this context, describing Chufshah, the, the emancipation, the document of Shtar, was not given to her. Due to the proximity, we learn one halacha from the other, and draw an equation between Shtar and Kesef. Ma Kesef ben Kul ben Just as by money, by Hafti Lunaftasa, that there's a redemption, but not entirely. A partial redemption can be achieved through the payment of money. So if she's, or somebody on her behalf, gives part of her value to the master for her freedom, it will be effective. And in proximity to Shtar, that her freedom was not given to her, by a document of emancipation, that that can also be achieved part way. If somebody would give, the master would give a document of emancipation for half of this shifra, it would work. Just like by Kasef, so too by Shtar. This goes well according to Yosef. Not the original version of Yosef, because we slug that up, we had a Bryce saying explicitly that the subject of Shtar, halfway, is Machlokis, Rebbe, and Rabbana. But according to the second version of Rabbi Yosef, it goes well. Hamani, who is the author of this whole drush, of this whole train of thought, this Bryce? It's Rebbe. But according to Rabbo, Reisha, do you recall the Sefer Rebbe? Rabbo, this doesn't go so well. Rabbo is the first opinion that we went, we, we explained in the Gemara, the first opinion. Meshachar Chatsi Avdo, Rebbe Omer Kana, Vachacham Omer Lo Kana. Rabbo says the Machlokes between Rebbe and Rabbanon is isolated to Shtar, but by money, there's no controversy. By money, everybody agrees it works. So, according to Rabbo, Reisha is Divrakol, the Sefer Rebbe. According to Rabbo, the Reisha, the, the first part of this teaching, is universal, both according to Rebbe and the Chachamim, and only the last assertion about Shtar, also being effective halfway, that is limited to Rebbe. in Rabbo will tell you that is correct. Even though this teaching doesn't have different names, you have to insert the names. The first part of the process of drushas is universal, and the concluding part, even though we don't, we're not informed in the teaching that it switches over 
It's no longer reflecting the opinion of everybody, only Rebbe. That's Enachanami. That is what Rabbi will tell you. The last part is limited just describing Shitas Rebbe. Ravashi Omar Rebbe. Ravashi says it is Rebbe. But what do you do about our Mishnah? How are you going to learn a Mishnah that's describing somebody who's half slave and half free? According to Rabbi, it's very straightforward. The Mishnah is everybody, and the freedom can be given halfway, according to everybody, with money. But according to Yosef, Lema Rebbe Velorabana. A corner of Yosef posits Rav Ashi. You're going to have to learn the Mishnah in a more limited sense that the Mishnah describing the partial freedom of the slave is only Shita's Rebbe and not the Rabbana. Amravina Be'evhed Shalshnei Ravina has a different way. It says you don't have to say that the Mishnah is just Rav Yosef. It is that a corner of Yosef, the Mishnah is just Rebbe, but rather, Ravina says, it can be talking about an Evet of two partners, which is what Rashi said, if you recall, back in the beginning, and it's going to everybody. If it's, if it's a case of an, a slave owned by two partners, that's the Chatzim v'chatzim Mecharin. So then, even the Rabbanon, the Chachamim, will agree that a partial emancipation of work, let's see Rashi, tap Rashi of Membez Menav, give the Ein Lobo Ela Chatu, Fila Rabbana Modu, since the master only owns half, even the Rabbana will agree, Dekana Kesheh Re'el that there is an effective partial freedom, because he did not leave anything over under his ownership, and it is similar to the woman who is freed entirely by the bill of divorce. So even the Rabbana would agree that as long as he is freeing and releasing the entire Eved that he has, so then he can free partway. And the only Machlokas between Rebbe and the Rabbanon about partial freedom is when he is retaining some ownership. But in the case of our Mishnah, no ownership is being retained by the party that is freeing. Therefore, it's not subject of this machlokas between Rebbe and the Chachamim. Let's see Tosos. Tosos Kofin is Rabbo. Those also Ben Chayrin. Bottom of Mem Alpha Mebez. He forced his master to free this half slave, half free. And if you'll ask, do we tell a person to sin in order to benefit your friend? Gemara in Shabbos asserts that in a case where one person attached the dough to the oven in a manner that if it continues to stay there, it will be a full-fledged violation on Shabbos of afia, of baking. We do not tell, presented as a bitmia, would we tell a second person to remove that dough before it bakes from the oven, which is a prohibition to peel the dough off of the oven, is a rabbinic restriction, malacha. It's a chachma v'ena malacha, 
but it is restricted. We're not allowed to do that. Would we tell him that you should do it to save your friend from coming to the full violation of afia, of baking on Shabbos? So we see that, says Tosos, that's something we wouldn't do. We wouldn't tell a person to sin in a small measure to save his friend from a big sin. So why are we here, Tosos says, do we force the master to free the half-slave in order that the slave will be able to fulfill his mitzvah. The, there's a prohibition. You're not allowed to just free a slave. There's an assay. You have to work the slaves. You're not allowed to free the slaves. Tosa says specifically over there, do we say this? Over there, the person right before Shabbos, who attached the dough to the side of the oven, was sinning by doing so, so close to Shabbos. But over here, the slave did nothing wrong. And he's in this quandary. He's half freed, and he is not engaged in any impropriety, unlike the case in the Gemara and Shabbos. So therefore, why should he lose out Says Tosus, over here, we would not say, if the person was being put into this situation where it's going to be honest not to be a little kind of mitzvah, so we would say, that's a pretty big terrorist. We have a similar case that the Avelis is a type of you know, a wart or, or some type of uh, blemish that would in- invalidate the coin from service. And to remove it in the classic way would be a violation of Shabbos. But to do so with his teeth, see, uh, assuming that the guy can't do it himself, his friend can do so with his teeth. Not exactly the uh, most appetizing... Uh, procedure over here, but it's only rabbinic prohibition. It's not the normal way. It's not using a scalpel like you would normally do during the week. And it will achieve removing this blemish for the coin, enabling him to engage in the service on Shabbos. So we see over there, the guy did nothing wrong. He got this blemish. And the shvus, the rabbinic restriction on using his teeth, it's a shinui, to remove this blemish, is permitted. So it also says, you see, that in order to help the person do a mitzvah, that, that it would be permitted to engage in the minor restriction of prohibition of shvus in order to help his friend do the avodah. Similarly, in Pesachim, so if he's not able to bring Karbonus on Erev Pesach, and he was finally able to bring his Kapara after the Tomid Shalben Arbaim, so that's normally supposed to be the final carbon of the day, the second, the afternoon offering of the daily offerings. So the Mitzvah Sasei of Pesach, it's a very important Mitzvah Sasei, 
it entails spiritual excision if he doesn't bring it, he's supposed to bring the Paschal offering, that will be docha the Aseda Shlomo. That pushes aside the normal imperative of making the Tamin Shalben Abayim the concluding offering of the day. Alma ka'avri kani So you see from here, the Kohanim are going to negate the imperative to make the Tamin Shalben Abayim the concluding offering. In order that this fellow, who just now was eligible, because he was Mechoser Kapar until now, he's now eligible, even though it's too late, uh, because the Tomid Shalben Abayim was already Hokrav, nonetheless, they will facilitate the process of his Karm Pesach in order to be Mizakim with Karm Pesach. It's very Homer. It has Karis. So you see this idea also that one person can engage in a smaller sin in order to help somebody else do a bigger mitzvah. And over there also, the same idea, Tosa is saying, he was honest, he didn't do anything wrong. Tosa is restricting the Gemara and Shabbos that says, well, would we tell somebody to sin in order to benefit his friend? He's restricting that to where the friend was complicit in this, he's guilty in this sin. He should not have put up the dough in the oven right before Shabbos. That's where we say, stay out of it. In the case of a partial slave woman, the Kafas Rabba, the Gemara earlier says that her master is forced to free her. Of there, that's a question against Sosos. They are engaging in sin themselves. So it should be like the case in Shabbos, where we say, don't where the implication is, do not uh, engage in a minor sin to prevent somebody else from a bigger sin or to help them do a bigger mitzvah. You shouldn't say that because they are no igmin of hefker, they are complicit, they are not worthy of this calculation. No, since she is enticing them, it is considered like their anusim, and therefore, they are held innocent, unlike the case of the fellow who puts the dough into the oven right before Shabbos. That he is not onus. He is wantonly engaging in this attempt to bake on Shabbos. You could save him. But whether it was intentional or not, that's the subject of the Gemara there. But he should have been more careful. That is for sure. Over here, Tosas, surprisingly, he also says on Shabbos that they are considered ke'anusim, even though there's certainly a degree of culpability, but the, there's enough considered anusim that we would not say that the master should not free her. He should free her to prevent this mechshel, prevent this stumbling block. The Ode to Mitzvah Rabbi and Tosas throws in another teretz, which is based on the Gemara and Brochus. Mitzvah Rabbi the mitzvah of the public, of the many, is different. There's a unique imperative and a unique status of mitzvah to rabbim, a mitzvah that applies to the community, that overrides this consideration of over here we will tell the master to free, and Tosas is saying the mitzvah of Puruvu over here for this half freed, half slave person that otherwise would be restricted from having a family, that is called the mitzvah to rabbim. And therefore, we will tell the master to free him, even though that's a violation of the, it's an isra se, of the olam behem ta'avodu. 
Nonetheless, mitzvah the rabbin shiny. That's what Tosa says. Look at the Gemara in Brachus, the story of Rebbe Yezer. Ma'isab Rebbe Yezer, I'm Zion of Mbez, towards the bottom. Shenichnas the Bez Knesses, v'lo matzah asara, v'shecher abdo v'shlim ala asara. Rebbe Yezer entered into the Bez Knesses, he went to Shul, and he went with his slave. He didn't find ten there, so there was no minion. He wanted to have a minion, so he freed his slave. V'shlim ala asara. And now they had a minion. Yeah. The slave was free. Ah, oh, now they have a minion. Shechar in, lo shechar lo. This seems to imply that if you freed him, you have him count for the minion. But without that, he does not. Trey's shechar. So the Gemara modifies this. No proof. Maybe an Evid could count for number 10. Could use Evid for number 10. But they really were short too. So therefore, there were two Avadim. And he freed one of them. And then he could count the tenth one as an evid to be mistar for the minion. So you could, depending on what the halachic requirement is, the story has different versions. How did he do this? Rav Yudah said, anybody who frees a slave is in violation of an asay. The imperative is, you shall eternally work these slaves. So how is he freeing him and absolving him, absolving the slave from any further servitude if he has an imperative to work him? For the purpose of a mitzvah, it's different. The Gemara asks, This mitzvah, he wants to have a minion, is very nice. Beautiful thing. He's going to have Baruch, Kaddish, Kedusha, but it came about through the Isser of freeing the slave. Gemara answers, Mitzvah the Rabbim Shaini. This is what we saw in Tosos. Mitzvah of Rabbim is different. This is a mitzvah. We have a whole community here with a minion. That is a mitzvah of the Rabbim. So therefore, we don't say Mitzvah of Abavera is, is uh, an impediment over here. It's a sin coming through, a, a, a mitzvah being fulfilled through a sin by freeing the slave. No, Mitzvah Rabbim Shaini. We find that the imperative of bringing about a mitzvah for the community, that is a high-level mitzvah that overrides the normal consideration of mitzvah babavera that we would say, don't do it. It's a mitzvah coming back through sin, not for a mitzvah derabim. That seems to be the, the shakla of the Gemara here. And Tosus is obliquely mentioning that. Oh, the mitzvah derabim shiny, that the freeing of this half evid half ben half ben he's, he's half half so there's a partial imperative of pruvu <coughs> and he's not he's honest he's not able to do it there's, he has no eligible shidduch uh, partners is not possible so therefore the requirement forcing the master to free him entirely in order that he should be able to get married and have children that is called mitzvah derabim says Tosos. And the Bach over here tells us to look at the Gemara. He says, Tzarachin. The Bach says, Kofnes Rabot. Tzarachin be Gemara brachas. So we saw the Gemara. And Tosus obliquely mentions the Gemara. What is the Bach over there? The Bach over there has what to say. Mitzvah the Rabbi Shani. Nechabetzidot says the Bach. I'm not sure what Gitin. Dafmim Gimel Amid Beis. Tzarachin. Gam Tzarachin Mishnah Ruchat Gitin Dafmim Aleph. 
He asks a question from our Mishnah. When you have a half slave, half freed person that was forced, that we forced the master to free him, in order to force, uh, in, in order to give the slave the opportunity, the half slave the opportunity to fulfill the mitzvah approval, even though it seems that it is not a mitzvah derabin, Tosos over there says it is, as this final terence, but it seems that it's his own personal mitzvah. Ubni harav reino hertz heishir deshani be'eved shuchatzu v'cherim. So Bach says he quotes his son that half freed, half slave person is different. Chay b'shifcha chatzu v'cherim also by the slave woman who's half freed. The fee avonos hamakshen begitin according to the understanding of the one asking the question in gitin. Isham shu ba'atzmo dehainu rabo osa. That over there, the master has already done a half sin by partially freeing this slave. He already engaged in this partial sin. So he's, he's entered into this mess. He's the one creating the problem. He's called a sinner. So, the Bach's son of Hertz is suggesting, in line with Tosos, that when there's an element of pshia, of sinfulness, so then, if he started this mess, so that's a reason for him to, yes, take on some measure of sin to help rectify the situation. Okay, considerably. Therefore, we give him a knas a fine, so to speak, the courts will give him a fine to force him to finish the job, to engage in a little more sin, to free him entirely. The court is forcing him to do a sin. To free the second half. In order to, who are the beneficiaries? To benefit the slave and, and the slave woman. Since he caused them this state of sin, that they're not able to fulfill their mitzvah, they have Half read that half mitzvah. Similar to what Tosos wrote over there, the Masnik Kofin that we saw. If he himself is engaged in sinfulness, we don't bring him benefit. Meaning, we don't say when there is an element of sin. The case in Shabbos Tavdalit, where the person put up the dough into the oven right before Shabbos. Therefore, we will not be mezakeh. Who then can ipchos a similar train of thought in the opposite direction? Hecha shehischa b'avera. Since he started sinning, v'gorem avera, he caused the sin of the evidence shifcha not being able to get married. Kofilo lasos avera. We force him to sin a little more. Kedei this goes la'evet in order to benefit the slave that he should be able to get married. Avoze eno. The Bach says this whole shtetl in the name of the son. He says, but it's wrong. Look at the Gemara. There's a whole debate over there of can freeing half the slave work? The Gemara concludes, we saw the very top of Membez, that the case is of two partners where one free 
and the other did not free. So the one who freed, he's an, his own individual. He's the sinner. But the second guy, the second brother or partner, he did nothing wrong. This is the case where we force the second master who did nothing wrong to free. He says, why do you want me to sin? Why should I free my half-slave? The other guy sinned. I didn't sin. He freed him. Hmm. He freed half. He caused this problem. I did nothing wrong. Why is Bezdin beating him up to sin? Bezdin beats the guy up to, to Shakulula, fine, but beat him up to do an Avera? What's going on? Vehulo Pasha. Vehulo Varum Avera. He didn't do anything wrong. Shuv Matsasi. So he says, so therefore, you see, my son's territory is wrong. It's not true. Shuv Matsasi. The Tosus Matel Shabbos. Shekosu. The Gamas of Perivrivia. Kemomis of the Rabbin. I don't know. He has to run to Gemara and Shabbos. There's a Gemara here also. And the, the Tosus over here also. The final Tosus, final Terrace of Tosus, is it's called Mitzvah Derabim. Ki Mitzvah Gedola, because it's a great Mitzvah. Tosus over there says more. It's called Mitzvah Derabim because it's a great Mitzvah. Mikom Okom, Hudochik, the Bach is still not happy. The Tosus in Erevin more precisely says that the, the one who's responsible does have to sin in order to sin more. If he's responsible for the other person's sin, he has to sin in order to prevent being a stumbling block for more sin. Hmm. That Tosa says in Erevin. But uh, to differentiate the case over there where the Chavar is uh, causing problems for the Amaras, that's a, that's a different case that is, is not like the Gemara Shabbos where the Gemara seems to just discourage we don't encourage somebody to sin in order to save their friend from a bigger sin. The, the Bach is not particularly pleased. He says it's dochik. He is saying tzarech in, like he says by us. Why is it called Mitzvah Rabbim? He says it's a great mitzvah. Why is it called Mitzvah Rabbim? The Evet has his personal mitzvah. Uh, Kinireh, this idea, is considered Mitzvah Rabbim. It is the... the Mitzvah of bringing more people into the world, that is a mitzvah, that is a, a communal gain that is not just limited to the parents fulfilling his mitzvah, but this is something that the community is a, a shared uh, mitzvah, as it were. That's uh, apparently it's mitzvah gedola, it's like mitzvah derabim, or just straight like Artos says, mitzvah derabim shani, this is considered mitzvah derabim, the imperative of having the, the people able to be Makai and Puruvu in a case where there is a Tzadchiyuf, that's what we're talking about. There's no obligation to just go around freeing slaves. To the contrary, it's prohibited. But in a case where he has the imperative on his own, so to uh, bring that to the ability to be fulfilled instead of him being honest and unable to fulfill that, that's considered Mr. Darabim. That's, that is uh, what Tosa says here, whether it's because Mitzvah, mitzvah Rabbo or Mitzvah itself is directly considered rabbim, pertains to the tzibur, having more people that are b'nei chiyuvah, that uh, from a stance of chiyuv to begin with, that's called mitzvah rabbim. As, as the Bach says, it is tzarachin, like he says over here, how to understand this nekuda. The ran, by us, says... It's relevant to us. The, the Ran is but uh, It's on that Gemara over The Gemara 
Eliezer, Shnuchas Beit Knesses, Lo Matzor Shemasara, Veshichar Avdo, Veshlim Lasara. The Rand says it doesn't sound like it's a full fledged Isser Asay because of the story with Rebbe Eliezer that we saw in Gemara Brachas. On Varkinon, Mitzvah Shani, Gemara says it's Mitzvah is different. Vi Asay Gomer Hu, Heichach Dachinon Asay, Shabbatar Vishum, Hai Mitzvah. If it would actually be a true, full fledged Isser Asay to free your slave, how could that be pushed aside for this relatively flimsy Durabanan? He's saying, Hi Mitzvah, what's the, what's the Mitzvah ready? You want to say, uh, Kaddish, Baruch, you know, Kedusha, wonderful things, but if it's, an, if it's a full fledged Israel safe from the Torah, so how's that going to work? Vyesh Mitarsim, Shalom Ratar, Le'olam Tavodu, El Mashum, Shaloitilahem, Manaschinon. Some explain that the whole prohibition, it is a prohibition of the Torah, but it is not a hard and fast prohibition. It is within the framework of, the Olam Bam Tavot is in the framework of Lo Sechanim, of not giving the Canaanites, or by extension, of the Varazar, Matnaschinam, a free gift, Shalitza Matnaschinam, Kenishakasu Bav Dekachavim, Lo Sechanim, Kivan Deikam Mitzvah, Labashem Achanim Adidu Ka'avim, so since Rabbi Leazar is trying to do the mitzvah, so it's like buying something, getting something in return for the shikhar. If the slave comes in and says, you know, I've got money that, uh, that somebody's willing to pay to, to free me, so he says, sure, no problem. Give me the money, I'll free you. It's a transaction. That's not the iser of Olam Dem Tavodu. He could, he could sell him to freedom, so to speak. He says the iser is for free. And over here, since he's getting the mitzvah of having a minion, so it's he's getting something for it. It's Lutzar Chatzmo. It's considered his own needs. Avalei Kinnosen Me'atzmo. So the Ram says that it's Bechlal not an Avera over here. And that's that's uh, also Mashman from the Ram in that way, which is hard to read in the Gemara. But the, the way they're learning is that the, there is no Avera happening over here when he frees him if he's doing so for his own benefit. He's doing so for his own benefit, so that's not the iser, the prohibition of L'Olam Dem Davod. That's, that's only violated if he does it in the framework of for free, chinam, just altruistically. No, the Torah says you should have him as a slave to work for you, and you should not free him. If he has a gain, he's going to have a minion, so that, that's not included in the prohibition. The Mokram quotes the Ran in the context of Hilchus Tefillah, Achayim Simen Sadi, Sifta Zayin and Machaber, Ahuch Derech Gia Leir, Rotsa Lolan Ba, in the form of Ad Dal Nun, Mokam Shmuspan Biyod, Tsarach Lelech Sham. Somebody's traveling and he's trying to arrive in the direction that he's journeying. He can continue traveling or stop. He should push himself to go four mil extra in order to arrive at a minion. And you should backtrack up to a mil, a Roman mile, a little more than nine-tenths of a mile, in order to pray with a minion. A person should try and pray with a minion. On this, the Malin of Ram brings, in Brachas that we saw, Shechar Avdo, he freed a slave to make a minion. 
Avagav de over even though it's a transgression of the Olam Dahim Tavodu, Kemishachar Abdo, by freeing his slave, he's in violation of the imperative to continue working his slave. Mitzvah de Rabbim Shaina, Shani. It is a mitzvah of the Rabbim. This is a communal gain of mitzvah. That's different. The Gemara has an extra step before that, which is omitting, and it's Mitzvah Baba Vera. And on that, the Gemara says, Mitzvah Rabbim Shani. Chen calls of Tosus, Perkama de Shabbos, Kos of Harosh. The Rosh explains that the positive imperative for the community is strong, stronger in this context. Dirsiv, Niktashi Besokhne Israel, as the Torah says. And I shall be sanctified among the children of Israel. There is a fulfillment of sanctification of God's name in a communal setting. Even in a rabbinic matter. For example, here in Kedusha and Baruch. So this is a fulfillment of in the rush, it's a derise of fulfillment. It's a rabbinic imperative, perhaps, or perhaps even not, but it is a fulfillment of a derise. Even though it is not an ikr minatara, it's not a found in the Torah that this is the hagdar of the mitzvah of the the classic chiyuv. Mitzvah of Kiddush Hashem is Mesir's Nefesh in the places where there's such a mitzvah. Nonetheless, the Rosh explains that it overrides the Isra Ase of the individual here. And the reason that he's pushing to say this is that it's hard to say, not Mestaber, that the context was for the fulfillment of a biblical imperative. You could say maybe Rabbi Ezra is trying to get a minion together for Pasha Zohar in order to fulfill that Daraisa. But he says it doesn't sound like that. It sounds like it was just to have a minion Bakla. So the rush is being Mosif that it's not Stamad Rabbanon, but it is a fulfillment. I know I say to Mikadshin, Hashem Basarabim is a fulfillment of the Pasik. Even if it's not a Chiv. But still, it is a kiyum of the Doraisa. That l'chur is the Havana of the Rosh. What is the status of a, a, a mitzvah sasei de rabim that has the chashivus to even permit Doing that which is normally prohibited, that what that this is mitzvah de rabbim is limited. It's a zchus for the rabbim, specifically in a case where the community is benefited by this mitzvah. That's a, an angle on what what's called mitzvah de rabbim. Vaharan pash in perik hashaleach the ran by us and gitin. Kosh delam behem tavodu lav asegamu. It's not a full 
israse. It's not impervious to the context. Oh, yeshlomar, kim she'ino ose l'tovas ha'eved, leka sekla. Or, one could suggest, this is the ran, that it is not a violation of the Olam Tavodo because he is not doing it altruistically to benefit the slave. Ahavi kemocholo akonoshono. It's like selling. You find, the ran says it's compared to the prohibition of lo sechonim. And lo sechonim is matnas chinam, giving a free gift to an idolater. That is what the Torah prohibits. But if it's transactional, even if it's, let's say, a bonus, but it's, it still is transactional. If somebody gives his idolater worker or colleague something that's at the face value looks like a gift, but it really is something that is benefiting his business enterprise. So that is not in violation of this prohibition. It has to be a strictly altruistic gift to be in violation of Lo Sechanin. The Ram suggests that the Isr, the Olamim Tavodu, also has to transcend any type of economic consideration to be in violation. So if he's on principle freeing the slave, he's gaining nothing, that is a violation of the Olamim Tavodu. If he's gaining on it, then there's no prohibition. So that's the synopsis of the Ram. The Mughal Ram continues, what is the Gemara's question? How could Rabbi Yezer free this slave to have a minion? It's a mitzvah of having a minion that's coming about through it, the Avera, the sin of freeing the slave. According to the Ran, there's no sin at all. Perhaps alludes to this question. Machsa Shekel says, it's pretty awesome. Al-Kopanim, this is a very strong question on the Ram. According to the Ram, what's the Hemshech of the Gemara? What's the Shekel of Atariya? Misvavavavera? What Avera? He's doing it for his own interest. He wants to have a minion. So what's the Gemara's question? What do you come on to a heter based on Mitzvah de Rabbim, to override Mitzvah Baba Avera, what's the issue, Bechlal? There's no Avera. That's the Magnavram's Kasha on the Ram. How does he read the Gemara? It's interesting that the Magnavram presents the Ram as suggesting two Tirutzim. The first Tirutzim, he says, the Olam Tavodu is Lava Se Gomerhu, O Yeshlama. Two separate Terutsim. First, it's not an Ase Gomer. He wanted to suggest the first is that it's a low grade Ase. It's not a full fledged Ase. And that's why it's subject to this override clause. It's not a full fledged Iser. It's only a quasi Iser. And the second Terutz he's saying is there's no Iser at all. In this case, because he's doing it for his own selfish interest. He wants to have a minion. Looking at the Ran again, we saw the Ran. Let's look at the Ran again. He says, Mashmo de lava say Gomrohu. 
בגמר פרחינון, נסווה, מייסר רב אליעזר, שנכנס לבית כנסת, ולמוצא שם עשרה, ושחר עבדו, והשלימו לעשרה מפרקינון, נצפה שייני. ויעשה גומר הוא, היכי דוכין הנעשית של תורה משום המצווה. If it would be a full mitzvah, how could the Isra say, the prohibition, be pushed aside for this mitzvah of making a minion? V'yish metaretzim, שלא אמרה תרא לאולה בהם תעבודו, אלא משום שליטה להם מתנס חינו. כן יש לכל סבב דכוכבים, לא סכנים. כמו דאיקה מצווה, לאו משום חנינא דלהו כעביד אלא צורך עצמו, והבלי כנוסין דמי עצמו. When I read the run, I don't see him saying two תירוצים. It sounds like he's saying one תירוץ. He says if it would be a full Isra Asay, so you wouldn't have a, an overriding of that for Durabana, of getting together a minion, the Qiyum, if you will. The Rosh has a Qiyum on a Doraisa, Efshin. It's a different Mahalach, but the Rana is learning that it's high mitzvah, there's a low grade. Having a minion, that uh, requires a Tzibur to Davish Viktusha, is a low-grade mitzvah, Durabonon, according to the Ran. How, does, how would that be justified? How would Rebbe Yezra be justified in, in uh, freeing his slave to fulfill that? If it's a full-fledged Isser. It says it's not a full-fledged Isser. The fact that it depends on Lo Sechonim, or it's like Lo Sechonim, it depends on is he gaining or not gaining, tells you that it's negotiable. Ran says it's not called a full iser. It's, it's a quasi-iser. It seems like the Ran is saying one terence. What is the idea, according to the Ran, the Magna Prom's Kasha is, at the end, a solid question. Once you say it's like lo sechanim, you have no more iser. Forget about being a quasi-iser. There's no more iser. If Rabbi Yezer is doing it for himself, so he does a lot of things for himself. And he wants to turbocharge his tefillah. Very nice. So, why should that be subject to the iser of lo'olam bem tavodu, just like he wouldn't be in violation of lo sechanim if he had his own interest in mind. Now, after the Ran is coming from another angle, Mitzvah's lav lahenes nitna. Yes, Rabbi Yasser wants to have a minion, but if he wants to have a minion because it's a mitzvah, so that's not really a benefit. Mitzvah's lav lahenes nitna. It's not called him benefiting. He's very heiliga, Rabbi Yasser. It's a title, Rebbe. He's interested in mitzvahs, no question. He wants mitzvahs, but it's lav lahenes nitna. It's not a benefit for him. It's not nechshav as a hana. And therefore, that's why it's a quasi-iser. Meaning, he's interested in it, but what is he interested in? He's interested in a mitzvah. But mitzvah is not for a hana. So when he's gaining this non-hana, that's what he wants to free the slave for, it's a quasi-iser. It's a quasi-iser, because 
It is not altruistic. The real iser is altruistically. To free the slave altruistically is the iser. What are you doing? God gave you this slave to work, to assist you in your labor. What are you freeing him for? If he has his own agenda, that's not really his own agenda. It's the agenda of a mitzvah. So that's a quasi-iser. So for a quasi-iser, that, the Ran is suggesting, you have this overriding of mitzvah babavera because of mitzvah derabim. Here you're entering into this whole parsha because the whole iser is already a gray market iser. It's technically not fully iser because he has his independent interest. Even if it's not technically a hana, he's not gaining. It's not like a mecha chomemkar when he gives his idolater employee a bonus because he's going to gain goodwill from that. That's business. Here he's not gaining in a strict sense, but he's gaining the sense that he wants it because he wants it to recharge his tefillah. So, therefore, it's only a gray market iser where mitzvah rabim will override the mitzvah habab avera.